0: you can tell a lot about how a letter starts. And we've mentioned this already when we're talking about Galatians, but it's worth us just holding on to get the sort of seriousness of what Paul's doing. So you get to a letter like Galatians and it begins, and, and kind of it begins as you might expect, it's actually almost a beautiful opening to this letter with these kind of theological landscape laid out broad of God who raised Jesus from the dead, the Jesus who rescued us. And even actually Paul almost gets caught up in verses one through five of Galatians chapter one. He almost gets caught up in what you'd call a sort of doxological moment because he even ends his opening few sentences with an amen. It's it's almost leaning into a point of worship. And and then what you would expect in Greco-Roman writing tradition is that at that point, you would then have some personal greetings. You see this in in pretty much all of Paul's letters, that, that you have this sort of introductory moment of him introducing himself, telling us who he's writing to, And then you get some personal greetings. Uh, Even in churches where things are chaotic, where the churches he's writing to are having all sorts of issues, Paul takes the time to inquire about how things are and he wishes blessings upon them. But then when we get to Galatians, uh, as we've told you before, it works slightly differently. And I want to just read Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 through to 10 for you, uh, and just sort of lean into this with me. Verses 1 through 5, this beautiful, beautiful opener, talking about, closing with these words in verse 5, to whom be the glory forever and ever, amen. Then we get to verse 6. Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you in the grace of Christ, and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some. Who are confusing you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should proclaim to you a gospel contrary to what we proclaim to you, let that one be accursed. As we have said before, so now I repeat if anyone proclaims to you a gospel contrary to what you received, let that one be accursed. Am I now seeking human approval or God's approval? Am I trying to please people? If I were still pleasing people, I would not be a servant of Christ. So from this kind of beautiful opening doxology, we get this harsh, gritty language of Paul defending the gospel. And at one level, you might want to ask, well, what's fired him up? Why is he so concerned about what's going on in Galatia? The language he uses of abandoning the grace of Christ or turning to a different gospel, although he really wants to remind us that the gospel's a zero-sum game. There's not different options of the gospel. I like this particular take on the gospel, and I like that particular gospel. No, Paul says there's either gospel or there's non-gospel. It's a binary. And if you take gospel and do something to it, Paul says that's to pervert the gospel. That's actually to undermine the gospel. That's to destroy it. You don't end up with like diet gospel or gospel-like, but either there's good news or it's not good news. And Paul wants to kind of tell us right at the very start that he doesn't want us to mess with good news. He doesn't want good news to become mediocre news. He doesn't want good news to become mildly exciting news. It has to stay as good news. Now, at this early part of of, of the letter of Galatians, you might even be thinking, but what does Paul think the gospel means? And that's a great question to ask. And at some level, Galatians is one of the letters in the Bible that helps us understand exactly what the gospel means. But we have to sort of get ourselves into what's actually going on. So what's going on that calls Paul to to abandon tradition, abandon formalities and move from opening to screaming at everybody instead of going, hey, you know, how's everybody going over there? But instead you get these accusations of abandoning and perverting the gospel. Well, and we're gonna talk about this more across this, this series as we take our time and navigate through Galatians, but essentially what seems to have happened in Galatia is that after Paul has planted the church there, and Paul's general policy would be he would go to an area, he would meet some people, they would decide they wanted to follow Jesus, and he would start to kind of form that into a small local assembly of Jesus followers. And and so these Jesus followers would then start to meet and and get on with things. And then Paul would invariably move somewhere else and go continue planting churches elsewhere. What seems to have happened in Galatia is after Paul has left, another group of Christians have come from a a Jewish Christian sort of context. uh, and, And they've come having had apparently some sort of conversation with some other Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. And essentially it boils down to this, when they turned up in Galatia, they started to ask the Gentile Christians, the non-Jewish Christians in Galatia, to start observing and following Jewish religious law. There's much more to talk about what that involves, but for now, let's just hold it at that. Some Christians who were also Jewish turn up in the Galatian churches and say, hey, you Christians who are not also Jewish, you need to start obeying Jewish law. Now for Paul, Paul then says, well, this is to move away from the gospel. It's to move from one gospel to a different gospel, but there is no such thing as a different gospel. So you've taken good news and you've turned it into something that isn't good news. And just again, pause right there for a moment and think, why is it that Paul thinks a group of Jewish Jesus followers telling some non-Jewish Jesus followers that this is how we've historically followed God, and we'd like you to be part of that, how does that move it from good news to bad news, from gospel to non-gospel? And for Paul, it's because the gospel speaks to us about issues of difference and disunity. To ask these non-Jewish Christians to start to observe Jewish law for Paul is is inappropriate because what it's starting to do is if basically to suggest that the cultural behavior, the cultural way of being, the religious sort of uh, cultic practices of this particular ethnic group are now being imposed on this other group and said that you have to do these religious practices and these ethnic practices in order to be considered a proper Christian. And so what Paul seems to suggest is happening there is that we've taken being a Christian or being a Jesus follower or hearing the good news, and we've started to embed it with cultural identity. We've started to embed it with, with things that they do over here, which inadvertently then starts to say, well, this group of people have an advantage over this group of people, that this group of people are slightly better than that group of people. So if that group of people want to be proper Christians, they need to not only believe in Jesus, but they start to also have to start looking like and behaving like this other group of people. We have all sorts of language that we would use in in, in our day and age to describe this. And actually that language might help us understand a little bit about what Paul's doing. Because essentially what Paul describes in Galatians is what we would call a form of of kind of cultural appropriation where, where one group are essentially imposing their way of being onto another group or some people might call it assimilation that we're saying to this new group of people, you will be much better and much more acceptable to us if you behave and act like this. Now, let's just be clear here. We're not saying that these Jewish Christians were, were bad because they were, they were following Jewish laws still. And we're not saying that these Gentile Christians were bad because they weren't. What we're saying is these two groups of people are different. And by trying to make them be culturally and ethnically the same, we're saying things about these two different groups. Essentially, what Paul's trying to battle with is the sort of stuff that we find at the roots of colonialism, of actually trying to change people to be a different way in order to help us in one group accept the way another group behave. And Paul, when he sees this happening, he says, this is to pervert the gospel of grace. Like this is to actually change the good news of Jesus. So if one group of people say to another group of people, it would be much better if you were more like us, then there's a real danger that we're no longer doing gospel work. For Paul, the gospel seems to need to come somewhere, and regardless of the people it finds, it offers them a consistent message. Now, again, therefore, we need to think a little bit about what we mean by the gospel. And there's a lot of time to talk about this throughout our series, but but let's for now just talk about like this. In, In Paul's world, the language of gospel was very specific terminology. And this very specific terminology spoke to announcements that were made Generally, the announcement of a gospel, it's not just theological and religious language, but the announcement of a gospel was often some news about the emperor, news about the king, news about something that was going on in the world. And whenever news came, whether it was, hey, there's a new king, or there's a new leader, or a new emperor has come, that, that would announce, be announced to your village as, hey, good news, we have a new king. But the good news of a new king always brought other things with it. So the good news of the new king, and that now means this is what the tax level is, and this is how many of your children now need to go to war with us, and they have to go and join the army now, and this is the type of temple you're going to have to build. So the news about the king brought change with it, change that affected how you lived. So when Paul and the early Christians called what Jesus was doing the gospel, they called it good news. It wasn't as as we often kind of think about the good news these days. We hear the word gospel and we think, oh, when you're talking about gospel, you're talking about how a person becomes a Christian. For Paul, the gospel was an announcement about Jesus that didn't just tell you how to follow Jesus, but it told you how you were going to live as a result of Jesus being king. And Paul calls this a gospel of grace. And grace, of course, again, we kind of say this again and again to make sure we don't forget it, but grace, is this language which describes something given to you without regard for worth. Something that you're given not because you earned it or not because you achieved a particular status, but grace is given to you based on who God is and not who you are. So think about this. When we hear language like the gospel of grace, if you've been in church a long time, that language sounds very familiar. If you've not been in church a long time, that language sounds a little opaque and hard to make sense of. When Paul talks about the gospel of grace, He's talking about good news that is gonna affect the way that you live, that is given to you regardless of who you are, which might help you understand then why, if a group of people from one part of the world come along and say, hey, you know that gospel of grace you've heard about? Well, actually, you could access it better if you were more like us. If you were more Jewish, this is what this group of people were saying, you non-Jewish people would be better Christians. And Paul comes along at that point and says, but no, because the good news of Jesus is that this way of life is regardless of who you are. In fact, when we get to Galatians chapter three, we'll engage with verse 28, one of the most famous pieces of Galatians, where Paul says in Christ, it doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Greek, it doesn't matter whether you're a slave or a free person, doesn't even matter whether you're male and female, we're all one. In Christ Jesus. How can we all be one no matter what our difference is? For Paul, the answer that's what grace does. Grace levels things. In fact, one of my favorite quotes about this is to say that the cross of Jesus levels everything. The quote I love is that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Wherever you find yourself, wherever you've come from, whatever your background is, whatever your ethnicity is, your gender is, whatever your social status is, you find the same good news that has found you regardless of whether you've achieved much in the eyes of our world or whether you've achieved little regardless of your skin color your background your creed you're brought to the cross of jesus in the same place but let's be honest the church has a little bit of a spotty history on this like this 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 movement that was started by these early Christians to live out this gospel of grace, to live out this message that says, no matter who you are, you meet Jesus at the same place and you don't need to be come something that you're not. You don't need to change ethnicity or gender or social status to follow Jesus, but actually he meets you where you are. The church hasn't done a great job of unpacking that well. In fact, at many key points in history, the church has had to stand up and and essentially reform itself because we got off track on this. Somehow, something's happened in Christian history that we've thought, continually as humans thought, that we can take the message of Jesus, his hope, and make it exclusive. That we can take the message of Jesus, his kind of hope and, and future for us, but still say, ah, oh, but you group over there, you're not quite the same as us. Martin Luther, at the turn of the what's known as the reformation fought with the church movement of his time because of this exact issue that the church was basically creating tiered systems of of who was with jesus properly and who wasn't uh, in in throughout the kind of history of the civil rights movements in America, this question has been raised time and time again about whether black people can have the same rights as white people. And the church unfortunately got drawn and separated and segregated into that despite its 2000 year old message that Paul is screaming about in Galatia that we can't get off track on this. In the 1930s, Karl Barth rallied German pastors to stand against the rise of Nazism that was separating Jewish people now and and treating them terribly, and various other ethnic groups on the basis of, of this dream that the Nazi party had. And Barth led many pastors to stand against this, pastors like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who you probably have heard about. The Dutch Reformed churches of South Africa stood up and they opposed apartheid as apartheid slowly got its grip across the nation and divided people on the basis of their skin color. And churches started to follow along with this and identify that this was an okay way of being. And whether it was Luther or Bart or these Dutch Reformed churches in South Africa, the constant call was the same. The gospel tells us to be different from this. The gospel calls us to step away from dividing people on the basis of their status, to step away from dividing people on the basis of their, of their culture, of their ethnicity, of their country of origin. And that causes us a challenge even today we, as Christians, depending on where in the world we are, we have to ask whether we're affected by these things today. Do we see the spaces that the gospel calls us to look for unity? As a church that's rooted in Canada, the question still falls on our doorsteps today as people who live in this country that we call Canada. You know, is racism something that Canadians spot elsewhere, or is it something that's present and alive and breathing in our own communities? Do we really think of everybody as equal as the gospel calls us to? Or are even in this land that's full of immigrants and indigenous people, have we still not actually figured out how to see each other as equally? And Paul, 2,000 years ago, writes to a small Christian community of probably what we would only call a handful of people, and he calls them to realize that it doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Greek, we're one in Jesus. What words would we use to apply that text to us today? What divisions do we see in our country, in our communities, in our cities? What divisions do we see that Paul would write to us about today and say, hey, if you identify those divisions, then you're not working through the radical call of the gospel for unity. You see this also for us as Christians amongst what I would call kind of single issue Christianity. We see quite regularly what happens around the world that Christians find ourselves fixated on one particular issue. And we say that issue there is our issue. And if we don't fix that issue, then everything's terrible. And what happens with this if we start focusing on this issue. And let me just say this, what can happen, and we've seen this time and time again in history, is when we fixate on one issue, very, very quickly, we start accepting divisions in other issues. Are we willing to step away from the gospel's call to unity purely so that we can get what we want in one particular area? Or does the gospel call us to something bigger? Because what Paul's telling us in Galatians is you can love Jesus and you can love the hope that he gives you and you can trust in his salvation and power to save the world, but then you can turn to your neighbor while all of those things being true of you, you can turn to your neighbor and treat your neighbor difficult differently because they disagree with you on something. And Paul says the gospel calls us beyond that. Your neighbor acts slightly differently, behaves slightly differently, does something differently in his culture, and you decide to reject that person from the gospel or more dangerously say, unless you do the way things the way I do things, you can't be a Jesus follower. And Paul comes along and says, that's not the way things are supposed to be. When we accept one thing at the cost of division, we're in a dangerous place. This becomes dangerous for us as the church socially. It becomes dangerous for us as the church politically. The call for the church is to live out This radical unity and diversity that Jesus has called us to, that somehow we say we're together, but we're not uniform. We don't all look the same, right? We don't all act with the same cultures. We don't all come from the same backgrounds, but we're brought together as one in Christ. And when we fight against that, when we say that's not the most important thing for us, well, Paul actually has a term for that. In Galatians chapter five and verse four, he gives us that term. He calls it to fall from grace. When we come to someone and say, unless you do things which suit my personal culture or unless you look more like me or unless you have the same ethnicity as me, then you can't be an equal member in the church of Christ. Paul says, we're no longer in grace we've replaced grace with something else. So here's the shocking thing that we find only a handful of verses into this letter, is that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is good news with a well, with a delayed punch, because it's good news that Jesus meets us without regard for worth, but that also means he meets your neighbor without regard for their worth. And your neighbor might be different from you. Your neighbor, he might not look like me. He might come from a different background as me. And the gospel challenges our allegiances. The gospel challenges our groups. It challenges the circles that we move in. It asks us to think very carefully about how we see and think and talk about other people. The gospel challenges our boundaries. And sometimes it builds boundaries where we wouldn't expect them. And a lot of the time it removes boundaries where we would like to build them. The gospel adjusts our lines. But then notice what Paul now says, and here's where we want to focus a little bit for a moment. In verse 10, Paul then asks, after railing against things that would pervert the gospel, Paul says this, Am I now seeking human approval or God's approval? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still pleasing people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Like Paul uses this language, slave of Christ in, in, in its original Greek. This, this, now slaves, you probably don't need to be told, have very little social status. And so Paul's reference to himself in relation to Jesus is he's Jesus, he's slave. And slaves have no status, yet still he's an equal member of God's household. He's an equal member in the church of Jesus. But notice what Paul then says is he says, but, but who do you think I'm trying to please? Do you think I'm just trying to please everybody around me? He's writing to this church and he's telling this church, the way you're behaving is wrong. It's out of line with the gospel. You're segregating one another on the basis of of your culture and ethnicity. And Paul realizes that that message, that good news that we're all in this together doesn't always make everybody happy. Not everybody's excited to hear that we're all equal. Not everybody's enthusiastic about the idea that Jesus thinks we're all the same not everybody rejoices when they hear that there is no Jew or Greek slave or free and male and female but that's what grace does it levels the playing field but you see so we now see that the grace of the gospel has bigger impact than we realized. The grace of the gospel doesn't just change, if you'll forgive me to thinking a little two dimensionally for a moment, but the grace of the gospel doesn't just change your relationship to God, it now changes your relationship with everybody else. I like the idea of a God who meets me on this kind of plane of action. I like the idea of a God who meets me with regard, with no regard rather for my mess or my lack of worth or my problems. But now when God asks me to live that out horizontally, that I would treat other people the same. That's a little bit more difficult. But here's the good news. If everybody is equal to God, you don't need to care about what everybody thinks so much anymore. Paul says, hey, am I trying to please people? Well, what you start to realize the more you engage with Paul is he actually doesn't really care what other people seem to think of him. Well, how can you not care what people think, Paul? Well, because he understands grace. Because I might feel inferior to you or you might feel inferior to me, but in God's eyes, we're all the same. So if I'm really listening to what God thinks about us, I don't need to care so much about what you think, which for Paul makes him say, I don't even really care whether you're pleased with me or not. I'm here to tell you that the gospel brings us all in this together. Like I think that so much of what we do in the world is impression management. It's like we're constantly trying to navigate how other people perceive us and how other people see us and whether people like us or not. Whether some people talk about as keeping up with the Joneses. Most of us tell our kids about how to avoid peer pressure, but we're terrible at avoiding peer pressure ourselves. We're constantly being shaped by what our neighbors and our colleagues and our friends and family think we should be. It's like we're just trying to keep up. I love what Fred Smith says, that he says trying to manage your impression and trying to kind of keep up with the Joneses, it's like drinking salt water. You're looking for significance from external things. You're competing for somebody else's okay, but all that happens is it leaves you thirsty. But just push that a little bit further. Push that a little bit deeper. If, as Paul says, I'm not actually overly bothered what people think about this. I'm not bothered if the racists don't like this take on the gospel. I'm not bothered if the people who want cultural segregation disagree with me on this. I'm not bothered, Paul says, if people don't like me because I think men and women are equal. Paul's not bothered about that because he takes his identity, we've talked about this already, he takes his identity from Jesus. Who am I trying to please, Paul says? I'm trying to please Jesus, who I serve. Here's the fascinating thing about that. Once you step into the full grace of the gospel, it does actually become a lot easier to tell the truth. It becomes a lot easier to live in truthfulness because so much of the lies and the facades that we live with in our lives are our attempts to make ourselves pleasing to everybody else, our attempts to fit in, our attempts to be in the right group. If you're gonna be in this group, you have to be like this and you have to not like those particular people. So when you're in this group, you tend to not want to tell the truth so much because what will happen if they hear what I really think? Will I get ejected from the group? Will I start to be treated badly from now on? But Paul points us out that actually, I think Paul opens a door to us to something we're going to see throughout this letter. That if you live in a place of unity, if you live in a place of grace, truth telling becomes so much more easy. And that's the way it should be in the Christian community. Like the church, the church should be a safe place to tell the truth because of the gospel. See, because in all sorts of other contexts and worlds, it's not safe to tell the truth because you're trying to keep up appearances. You're trying to keep in a particular way so that you're still considered one of the in-group. And Paul's like, well, there isn't really an in-group now because the ground is level at the foot of the cross. So you now are loved by Jesus. Your worth is absolute to Jesus. So maybe you can tell the truth. So the church then becomes a place where we can tell the truth. We can tell the truth about our marriages our mental health, our finances, our addictions, our parentings, our struggles, the wrestlings that we have in our lives that in every other context we find ourselves in, we try and pretend like we've got it together. The gospel comes to us and says, well, the ground is level here. This is a safe space for you to work through the truths of your own life and bring those truths face to face with a God that loves you. If you want a place to go and live a facade, go join a club somewhere. There's plenty of them. You can find clubs for anything where you can live out a particular facade, a particular way of life. But if you wanna find somewhere where you're treated equal regardless of who you are, then you probably need somewhere that's following the gospel. You probably need somewhere that's wrestling with grace. And, you know, that's why Paul says, Well, who am I trying to please? Because the gospel now has liberated him to think differently. And that's true for us as well. Whether it's at a national level with stuff like racism and politics and segregation, or whether it's up close stuff, like personal stuff, like our marriages and our life, the gospel, the good news of grace, is important to us because it's the only thing that levels us all off. Galatians is is going to, as we read our way through this book, Galatians is gonna ask us to think more broadly about this. It's gonna ask us to think about the good news in more impacting ways beyond simply the kind of attitude towards the gospel that is kind of fire insurance, that it's just like, well, this needs to look after me you know, when I die, but rather the gospel, the good news of grace is gonna get at the foundations of how we live and operate as humans. So here's what I wanna leave you with today that the gospel invites you to step beyond the petty, grace-lacking divisions of our world, of our social lives, of our politics, and our economics, and our status. The gospel invites us into the beautiful work of living out something restorative, reconciliatory, and something righteous. So as we continue to journey our way through this revolutionary idea that Jesus brings us all to the same place, I want to keep praying God's grace and peace upon you.